welcome back to the Y Hockey Periodical Podcast. I do want to congratulate Vinny Viola because his favorite team won the Stanley Cup. Ah, that's a good one. I would say most of the Florida Panthers season ticket holders' favorite team. Uh, you well, know. No, 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 no. The Canadians didn't do anything in the playoffs other than beat the Penguins. Neither did the Blackhawks. They beat the Oilers. And neither did the Rangers. I, I will get so much mileage out of the Vinny Viola has an open mouth, tongue wagging crush of the Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean, it, they like the Rangers. They like a lot of teams. The, the, uh, my problem with the league is too many people like too many teams uh, in the league and stuff. There's not enough hate quote-unquote and obviously it's magnified in a playoff series or a playoff season um with no fans uh and it, it was somewhat toned down uh but getting back on track happy for tampa they finally won their cup they they deserved it uh you can say that they were the best team uh this playoffs they Not had the in this postseason they've been the best team in hockey since 2013-14 Clearly, they have been. And they've had some pretty strong playoff seasons dating back to, to that time frame, too. So it's it's not something that I think has an asterisk. I know I went into this playoff uh, bubble, whatever you want to call it, thinking this was not going to work out well. Um, and whoever won the cup would have an asterisk next to it. I don't feel that way. Uh, I'm happy to be proven wrong. Zero cases. That's... I mean, zero positive tests the a lot and there's reasons to criticize them, but they ran a completely successful bubble when no one thought that they could not even yeah. one positive in two months when cases are spreading, even in Canada. Now it's, it's incredibly impressive and they deserve a ton of credit. I mean, as I said, just getting it done was the thing that I think they were most concerned about. Again, the aesthetics are one thing. The level of hockey is a thing, but they got it done and they proved that you can do it. And that's what's most important, and I'm happy for them that they did it. And I'm happy for the Lightning, too, because, like, in, in any ways, uh, this, this cup reinforces how good they were. Because you got to think, like, you're away from your family for two months. You're, it is not easy to win a cup in this kind of circumstance and environment, particularly considering everything that's going on. John Cooper was talking about all the things he was missing and how many people didn't have their families with them, you know, even in the bubble when we thought they were going to. Like, in many ways, this was a harder cup to win than your average Stanley Cup postseason. And the Lightning winning it and the being the first team in eight years to win it without going to a Game 7, I, I think that's extremely impressive. What's it reinforce? Uh, you know, it's a copycat league, and a lot of teams are going to be picking up. So what's it reinforce? Sticking with your core, drafting, um, and, you know, even Patience. though it, it's hard. Patience. But, but not just that. What it... The, if you really want to win a cup and you want to really hang around in the playoffs year after year to luck into a cup, which is what it usually takes for most teams, uh, you know, you're going to have to amass a talented roster. Think about how many number number one or former number one defensemen the, the Lightning have on their roster when they won the cup. Think about they won it without Steven Stamkos. Uh, I mean, that's a, a tremendous feat of itself. He was, you know, pretty recently a hundred point player. He's a cap. He's their captain. He's their number one center uh, at times. That's, that's a huge hole to miss. And then to basically not miss a beat, have Hedman, Vasilevsky, Point, uh, all 
play and produce and perform the way they did throughout the playoffs with Gord, with Kucherov, with, you know, there's so many, so many different levels of skill and support um, and the way they play as, as a team and how relentless they are, how uh, they bring in guys at the deadline in every off season with Shattenkirk, um, with McDonough. I mean, we always complain in some ways about trades at the trade deadline, but this was a good offseason. Uh, good offseason. I guess it's going to be a good offseason to look back at the trades we saw because the Islanders, you know, they get to the Eastern Conference Finals trading for Pajot, and that was a great move. I mean, he made them instantly better. And the Lightning, they gave away two first-round picks, but you cannot argue that they didn't do a good job getting Goodrow and Coleman. It's exactly the kind of players that they needed. And we're not talking about, you know, toughness means hitting people and taking stupid penalties. You can get tough players who have grit, who bring something different, but are also insanely skilled. And Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow are exactly that kind of player. I think that's going to be a really hard player to find around the league going forward. And that's the model of player. I I'm not. Think. I'm not sure. I think that those types of players. Sorry to interrupt, but I, I think those types of players we're going to see more of. Just like when we saw. Uh, Chicago winning those cups with some of those new age pests, so to speak. We saw a, a more of them and uh, play, and now we see a lot of those like really gritty, grindy uh, wingers who have skill, like Marshawn and uh, you know. Yeah, I mean Tom uh, Wilson I'm, was like the archetype for it, but now we're talking about a guy like Gallagher. You know, I mean Shaw, definitely yeah, Gallagher. Max Domi, if he ends up but, being. You can like you can too. even you can even see DeBrusque and Domi and, and there's there's guys like this that are more pu- pugilistic in, in nature uh, but also have the hands and the, and the speed and the scoring of you know a, a higher end players. You might be right that they're becoming easier to find and like more teams are developing them, but not, you know not not like that exact you know but more players start blending those traits and, and skill sets into their game because it is something that GMs are out there looking for and player agents know that, uh, you know, and then they are telling their players to, to play a little more like this if you want to get drafted or if you want to get signed or, you know, this is what this team's looking for. So add some of this into your game. I, I think there's something else to this this lightning team that that's it's not just you know the high end skill which is insane. I mean obviously you look at what they're running out in the first power play that's just stupid. But also think about the way that they rehabilitated players who we all are like these players stink. You know Zach Bogosian, scrap heap. Luke Shen, scrap heap. You know Shattenkirk was scrap heap. You know they bring in Pat Maroon to do his thing, and they bring in guys you know like. Well, I, I think they brought in – that's kind of like the opposite. Like you're saying they're bringing these guys on the, off the scrap heap, but then they also bring in guys like Pat Maroon at the top yeah. of their value. Even though he's you know a role player and everything, That coming off that, that Blues Cup is probably the most value he had. And, they, and just like with Coleman and Goudreau, they were willing to step up and pay it to, to – to win now and that belief from the front office and that those actions that helps inspire uh, the commitment and the um, play on the ice too. You know, it's also guys like, you know, just the depth guys, they can rotate in and out when they have to. And that's, you know, and it's, it's the depth of an organization. You don't feel like, Oh, if they lose a guy, you know, well, we're, we're, I mean, like, yeah, if you lose Victor Hedman, that's a problem. But, like, if you lose a guy lower down the lineup, it's not like those guys suddenly become integral. You can replace them. It's having depth in all places and 
having they, that organizational philosophy to get those players because you know when they need to get rid of some of these guys and they will for cap reasons those guys are going to come in like you know carter verhage matthew joseph like guys like that and they're going to come in and they're just going to fit in seamlessly and that's that's and that's why i just you don't foresee a drop off for the lightning even though they're going to lose some good players going forward because they just have these guys and they draft and develop well not just in the first round but later rounds points not a first round pick etc 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 and also they made the right moves and this is steve eiserman too i mean trading druan for sergachev was i mean a brilliant move you know getting a guy like eric chernak for ben bishop was again just another great move and that's steve eiserman and then breezeball builds on top of it and i think the thing that he did after again if you lose four nothing to columbus the way that they did most nhl teams would freak the f out go completely hog wild, try to remake their team. And Julian Breezeboss said, we're going to roll it back. And in many ways, that's kind of a bold move, considering what we were all thinking of the Lightning after last year. And then, you know, you go out and you're not as good in the regular season, but it didn't really matter because you went out and you won the cup and there was no one close to them this postseason. You know, Columbus is a really decent team. They weren't close. I mean, they had the five overtime game. Boston wasn't close to them. The Islanders... The Stars, it always felt like even if they took it to six games or played these long overtime games, it really didn't feel like these teams were touching Tampa this year. And the moment I think we knew that was when they won that five overtime game in Columbus, you can look back on it now and be like, okay, Tampa's winning the cup this year. And I remember thinking at that time, I think I might have said it here too, I'm like, Tampa's winning the cup. Like once they won that game, the burdens lifted off their shoulders and they're playing free and they realize, yeah, we can lose a game. It's not going to matter. We'll still beat you. Of course, Tampa had the skill and they executed well, uh, but I think they would have appreciated this sort of atmosphere and schedule, you know, earlier in Steven Stamkos' and Kucherov's prime, and maybe they could have got a couple cups out of this core. Um, I mean, you just listed some of, the, you know, who they played in the series. Uh, not the st strongest opponent list that they've played in years past. Yes, they've also lost to teams like columbus um but so they, they've also you know haven't haven't always stepped up and beat the lesser teams however you know this year with it kind of felt more like a regular season in the playoffs uh and you know tampa's very good at the regular season especially with how how much of a break there was between the the regular season and the the play-in series and, and the rest of the playoffs um, it kind of felt like just coming out in camp and being in the fall of, you know, the regular season, which Tampa usually crushes. Uh, so, uh, I, I think everything kind of just lined up for Tampa to take it. You know, their, their worst injury was Stamkos and that was into the playoffs. They kind of knew this was going to happen. So they were able to game plan around it. And, and they have plenty of experience yeah. without Stamkos by this point. So they know what it's like. I think the other thing that's interesting about this, this Tampa team you look back at who they lost to in the postseason you know in 2015 they lost the cup final to chicago in 2016 they lost a game seven to the eventual cup champs in 2018 they lost a game seven to the eventual cup champs they were for all the talent they didn't know yet how to win that like that killer game you know because in some of those series they would lose game six up three two and then they'd play game seven and you'd get a little tight so what they learned this year is you're not getting to game seven because we're not letting you and we're going to put our foot on your throat immediately. Because last night, I mean, maybe the Stars were tired as it looked like they were, but 
even when they were playing the better games, like it just didn't look like Dallas had anything left. And some of that might be the stars being injured and just running out of steam. But the Lightning, even when it looked like, you know, they should be tired, they should be, you know, feeling the weight of all this, they never did. And I, I think that's credit to John Cooper, who is the longest tenured head coach in the NHL, and he gets what he deserves for being, you know, the really good coach that he is. You know, it, it, it just it felt like as we look back on this, and we'll all remember this because of the weird circumstances that brought it about, we'll look at it and saying not just Tampa won and this was finally well-deserved for them. They've been the best team in the league for the best part of half a decade. But we'll look at it and say, like, this was the fitting team to win because they were the one who could deal with all of everything going on the best. They compartmentalized everything the best because when the regular season started this year, Whatever the regular season record was was irrelevant. It didn't matter because we knew all that it mattered for them was the postseason. So they were planning for this the whole time. And when they got there, you know, it's that singular focus thing. And then they could execute. They could play the different styles of hockey. And when they, when they needed to beat the teams that, you know, had to grind you out and it's hard to score against them. And then when they wanted to play faster hockey, of course they can do that. So they were multiple. They could play in all the ways that you needed to play. And when it came to putting the, the clamps down, they could easily do that too. And a lot of these teams were kind of one note. You know what I mean? Like they don't have another way to play. They don't have a plan B. We thought for the longest time the Lightning didn't have a plan B. Well, they developed a plan B, and it was a pretty dang good plan B. That Dallas had a, a few different ways to play. Their issue, though, was that they were, you know, both ends of the spectrum. Uh, and sometimes within a period, sometimes within games, but definitely within series. Uh, and as as good as they were, they had periods where they just had, could get nothing going. Uh, the effort was there. Uh, you know, they were at at almost Tampa speeds, but they just weren't connecting with passes. They just couldn't get anything going in a cycle inside the zone. Everything was one and done off a rush, uh, and per, you know, kept to the outside, but. Uh, I think if you play that series out a couple times, you know, Dallas can win that series. They have the skill to win that series and they should take a page out of Tampa's book, which they have and keep that core together. Uh, I know you would have liked to see a little more out of Sagan and Ben. Uh, but if you, I, I first I'll have to go back and watch the series again to really make this, pronouncement uh, in good faith but i i thought ben and sagan gave as much as you'd expect them they just you know didn't finish for whatever reason uh but you have to give that up to vasilevsky and tampa who again were very good well, all series is andre vasilevsky like third or fourth on your con smythe ballot like if he's playing for any other team he wins the con smythe running away but possibly on this yeah. team, I mean, look, Hedman won it. He probably should have won it because he was, like, insane in this postseason. I've, it's it's been a long time since you've seen a defenseman play like that. But I saw in my timeline people are like, well, Point's got to win it or Kucherov's got to win it. And I'm like, when's the last time I've watched a postseason where it's like, here are four guys who could all reasonably win the Conn Smythe, and I can't make an argument for any of them, you know, the wrong way. I, I mean, the Red the Wings, the Blackhawks, you know, the yeah, dynasty teams. Series, but even in those series, there was all in those postseasons, there was always one guy, you know, that stood out among everyone. Like last year, it was really clear Ryan O'Reilly was the best player that postseason. When the Capitals won, they gave it to Ovechkin, but it probably should have been Kuznetsov. But those were really the only two. 
you know, this I, series, as I, this postseason, I said, there's, there were four guys who could have won it. And it, it, I don't, you don't see four very often. My opinion was it, Hedman was that guy that was the clear pick, especially, especially too. in the final, in that, in the, in the final he was by far the best player on the ice uh, with and without the puck. Um, and again, this is a copycat league. That's a defenseman I want to see. I hope more teams draft Swedes uh, and draft those types of defensemen. Uh, those, uh, you know, so I mean, it was a great series. I, I'm pretty happy with the with the free hockey is basically what I'll call those that playoffs that we got. I wish there was a couple more overtime games in that series just to give us a little more hockey before it was over. Uh, but it was worthwhile. Uh, I was pretty happy with it, and I think the NHL uh, definitely had to win some new fans. Uh, being one of the only sports that was being run right right now, and everybody's pretty much closer to home you know, more attached to a TV screen right now and, and more willing to watch new things and sports and stuff. So I think overall the NHL has to win uh, uh, more so than Tampa. And, you know, I, I didn't really like the Gary Bettman, Steven Stamkos and team whole ugh, awkward team cringe, yeah. cringe-topia with Gary Bettman well, going on and worse. on. Which but, I thought they were going to do the fake crowd noise booing Gary Bettman. I thought I would have loved happen. that. I wanted that, and I thought if they did that, that would even put Bettman. I mean, Bettman's already getting enough applause for me with pulling off this with no positives and uh, you know all that. But if he also allowed the fake boos and took it on the chin like a champ, that would have probably gone a long way to. Uh, people like me probably would have given him a lot more credit for things uh, in the future and, you know, retroactive. I, I wonder if we'll have fake booze on the Zoom call for the draft. <laughs> uh, only, hopefully, for Pittsburgh, and it'll just be in and the Rangers now. Well, remember, the Pittsburgh uh, Penguins sadly uh, do not have a first-round pick. The shame. Yeah, but they'll they'll still get booed. I'll still yeah. boo oh, them. okay. Um, well, remember when it, we it's were a shame that the... and they booed everybody? Like, they booed everybody, and then there were certain teams, obviously, they booed more, and it was hilarious. It, it's, a shame, roll call. it's a shame that the first round's going to be during the week. It's a shame that day two is going to be literally during a work day. Um, and I, I, I think they're they going to lose. Choice. Uh, yeah, I, I agree, but it's it's a shame because I think it's one of the best events, and I think it is the best draft. Uh, and with the way they've just been putting on some events lately for the NHL, I think it would it it would have been great to keep this prime time. And and I think I don't know, it's missed opportunity in my book, but I'm still looking forward to it. I can make hay out of any draft day. Um, the NHL draft, as we have been to multiple NHL yeah. drafts, it is a really fun event to go to. They yep. are a lot of fun when you go to to the arena and you again, get tickets all are the free. You get all the all star gear for cheaper. It's all the leftover all star merch, and you get all the new draft merch too. Options, so it's it's yeah. best and, of both. And it's just a lot of fun because it's a lot of different fans. That I mean, obviously, when you go in a home draft, there's more of the home fans there, and that was even the case in the Florida draft. But it was just it was a lot of fun to be there, be at the event. As I said, like, I love all these drafts. I'm a big NFL draft fan, and that's become a blown-out extravaganza, and I think it's a little bit too bloated now. Um, but the NHL draft's a fun little event, and I think it's, I think it's the, the best-kept secret 
that the NHL has that how much fun the draft is. And, and not a lot of people know that. Again, it's harder when this draft comes around and you're not going to see these players for two to three years, unlike the NFL or the NBA when you see them immediately. But it is a fun event. And I, I, if you have not been to a draft, and when we have them in person again, because the NHL will have them in person again, go if you can, because you'll have a lot of fun. Well, uh, again, congratulations to Vinny Viola's favorite team on winning the Stanley Cup. They deserved it. Uh, and now we have the offseason that's going to be absolutely loony uh, with some of the moves we've already seen. And it's going to get crazier as we get to the draft because of the cap and all these things. So let's talk a little bit about the Panthers, who have already made some news. I first want to talk about uh, quickly a front office hire they made. Uh, Chris Boucher, who runs uh, Sport Logic or used to, uh, is going to be brought in uh, to. What? No, dude. I thought, I thought this was. I thought, I thought Florida was having a war against analytics, man. What? Uh, I did, you know, or or we have to discount everything they do because they hired Paul Fenton, and Paul Fenton's terrible. Such a shame. Sorry, sorry for the interruption. Continue. It's it's okay. Uh, it, I again. We talked with Allison Lucan about this uh, when we did more of our Bill Zito stuff. Like, Bill Zito is plenty into analytics. He's not dumb. He's also an agent, so of course he would want all of this stuff around and available for him. And the more information you have, the better. I, I again, sport logic stuff is, is harder to track than some of the publicly available stuff. But, of course, he's going to bring in people to do this. And I, I, you had a good tweet about... Um, what on, on the Y Hockey account about like what sport logic is and there's all sorts of different elements of it. So uh, elaborate on that briefly uh, on what he, on what sport logic is if people don't know what that is. So a lot of NHL teams have been hiring analysts uh, and hiring people who have their own hockey analytics website or Patreon or Tableau or whatever. And, and that's all fine. And, and, you know, that's been helping NHL teams. But what Sport Logic is, it's not just a company for, um, you know, analytics. It's also a, a data platform. Uh, and that's going to help the Panthers host uh, and manage. Uh, and store all the different tracking that's going to be available now that puck and jersey tracking are starting to, uh, you know, become reality in the NHL. Over the next couple of seasons, the NHL will be giving teams a whole bunch of data uh, and kind of just dropping in their laps, and it's going to be up to all the teams to find the ways to get a competitive advantage or earn a competitive, you know, uh, yeah, and so having hiring somebody who who's helped build a data platform that not only does hockey but has done other sports uh, like you know f soccer or, or football, um, etc. That means that it's scale it's scalable it it's, it's can ho hold a lot of data because it's been able to do multiple sports and as you know a vendor it's doing multiple companies worth of, in dealing with multiple companies worth of data and as far as organization and processing and logistics uh, Boucher is somebody that has a firsthand experience running and coming up with and executing a lot of that on his own and within a team. Uh, so as a as far as a hire in analytics, this is the best you can kind of do. 
because not only is it going through the anal- the analytics and the a- analyst side of it, you're getting that platform, you're getting the management, you're getting the ability for in the future to scale and have much more capabilities and further, um, you know, hires and 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 uh, opportunities on the business and hockey side with all that data it's going to be very interesting to see what well, we will never know what they do with it but it's interesting to see how they will apply it to everything that they do and i think that'll it's good again it's going to help them and obviously the panthers you know they had analytics people on their staff even when talon was running the team because talon does not hate analytics as much as the conventional narrative says no but, no i think but, but that it's a people kind of perspective when you bring in bill zito and he comes in wanting different things from his information and what he wants his staff to do so that leads to a different approach and that leads to something unique with what chris bruce brings to the table which is uh it's gonna be interesting to see what they do with it absolutely and i would imagine uh and and this is pure speculation, pure out of my own imagination to be polite about it. Uh, but I think, you know, when it comes to a guy like Viola who has taken a platform and that type of um, in his industry with virtue financial and use that to extract value and everything and leverage it. There's obviously a really good fit with ownership there. They understand what Boucher has kind of done uh, and, and they kind of understand that in their own terms. So they're more likely to trust, listen and be open to, to him too. Uh, and I think that's worth pointing out. Especially if he, if all of that, because he's going to be obviously on the hockey side, but I would assume he's going to be on the business side too in some way, because that, that's, that's well, kind of how the Panthers operate. Yeah, and, and let's be honest, the ownership's on both the hockey and business side. So he's going to he's gonna have to earn their buy-in on different, when he you know he's presenting different things, or you know his Boucher's team or the team that Boucher works on are presenting different things to hockey ops, and then that gets run up to ownership. They kind of have to be, oh well, this came from you know the Sport Logic team. Uh, you know, it helps that Viola probably has an affinity or understanding re- mutual respect with you know. Well, I Boucher. just want a front office that is pulling in the same direction. You know, because we we clear in Florida that there was not anyone pulling in the same direction. But like you can see with what Bill Zito has built, at least early on, like everybody seems like it's not going to be a huge group, but it's going to be a tight knit group. And it's one that's where like if everybody works together cohesively, which has, again, not been a thing in Florida, then you're already you're, you're running on something a little bit better. And that's just what I want to see. And, if, and as long as everybody's simpatico with one another. Because you can bring in people who are great at analytics, but they might not like see the game or have that same sort of trajectory, if that's the right word, for what they want you know, this data to be. Like, are we using it to say, who are we going to sign as a free agent? Or what can we, use, you know, sports science, like, should we sit this player tonight in the second half of a back-to-back, et cetera, et cetera. Like, they could use it for a lot of different things. I think one of the things that will be interesting is sports science. Like, do the Panthers use it for – you know, something because they travel more than almost any other team in the league because of where they are. So do they use that a little bit differently? Maybe that's something you get with the with the wearables, you know, sports science data that can help make your team better. I think that's something else. But I'm, I'm, I'm again interested to see how they apply all of this. It's a good hire. And at this point, as I said, once we see what they do, 
we can make from judgments we haven't seen a lot of what they do yet although we have seen one move that they've made which is a fascinating move which uh Patrick Hornquist for Mike Matheson and Colton Sevier looked like it was going to be dead and then it came back from the dead zombie trades perfect for this zombie year of 2020 I didn't and... sleep at all in between in between the original announcement. Uh, by the way, found it ironic or at least humorous that it was Kevin Weeks, somebody who interviewed for Bill Zito's job, that broke and almost kind of spoiled uh, the first trade of Zito's tenure as a Florida Panthers GM. I, I do kind of find that amusing in, in some way. Now, of course, he played for the Panthers, so he would know some people still down there. You know, well, and he's just the savvy, you know, that's his business. That's his, yeah, he's that's a his good business. analyst. Although yeah. I should mention again, he has blocked me on Twitter and that was like eight years ago. So, <laughs> which is amusing. I was a little bit more of a jerk as an 18 year old on Twitter than I am now, but sure. Kevin, sure. Kevin Weeks, if you're listening, you can unblock at Matt's Musings one on Twitter. I will, uh, I, I'm better now than I used to be. We all got to learn. We all got to grow. Um, but this trade is fascinating for a number of different reasons. We'll focus on the Panthers' end of it first with Hornquist. Obviously, you love it because there are now more Swedes with the Panthers, and you just wanted more Swedes in, in Florida, and I can understand that. That's a good thing. I hope it's a tip of the hat for what's to come next week in the draft. And, uh, well, you know, I mean, yeah, Anton Swedish... Lindell, but he's Finnish, but okay. No, no. There's tons of Swedish defensemen. There's some good swedish forwards and stuff in this draft and you know and and they can spend more than they have more than one round of picks so this is true uh but in in Uh, this trade specifically uh with hornquist he's overpaid obviously but that's not again it's not bill zito's contract at this point hornquist is probably a third line winger at even strength and he can play top power play because he's a giant man in front of the net you know, we always yelled and screamed about Barkov playing in the bumper position and how terrible that is. Well, Barkov's not playing in the bumper position anymore if you've got Hornquist on your top power play unit just standing in front of the goalie. Uh, if you've seen Mike, what Michael McCurdy tweets out with his charts, how good he is on the power play, it's not because of his shot. It's because he stands in front of the net, causes havoc, and he can clean up rebounds. So he's going to be useful in that regard. He's going to be a useful, you know, third-line winger. At this point, if you play him with the right forwards, I think he can create some impact. Uh, he's not going to be a, a terribly big scorer. In an 82-game season, if he gives you 40 points, you're probably happy with that. Um, the worry about him was his health because he's starting to break down, and the game he plays is a very physical style, and obviously that leads to your body breaking down. Um, and so the, one of the worries in the trade, obviously, as, as Elliot Freeman and others tweeted out, was insurance. And we know that that was resolved. Because Bill Zito dealt with the insurance issue with Nathan Horton in Columbus. That contract was not insured, so the Blue Jackets were on the hook for it. But if this uh, player is not able to play going forward and they have to stash him on LTIR, evidently, based on them doing the trade, I think that this is a thing. Insurance probably covers the whole of it, so they don't have to pay if he's permanently broken. So, in other words, if you get him as a player, you have a pretty good player that is useful in a, in a bottom six role and is, is not going to be a liability on the ice. And if he's hurt, well, you just throw him on LTIR and the Panthers don't have to pay anything. It's a good trade. I mean, again, it's a net positive to get Matheson out of here. I know there's a lot of people who still believe in his skating, still believe in him as a person and uh, his offensive skills. Too. 
but he but, needs to not be in Florida now. It's too much is under the too much water under the bridge. He needs a change of scenery. Like whether that, he's good or not in Pittsburgh, who knows? But he needs that, to get but, out of Florida. He was all, he's also at an age and with so much games that he's not going to change all of his spots. And a lot of his spots are pretty big minuses and pretty big downfall. He puts a lot of stress on his D partner. He does not play well with a D partner. He's it stems from over the years of not playing with a good D partner and having being forced to do it all of himself. And it's why he has a risky high turnover rate. It's going to be hard to cut that down or cut it out completely. Um, but you know, there's also he, when the going gets tough, he gets going. Um, and that's the issue when he has long shifts, when you're in the D zone and the, you kind of have that bottling up of pressure over you know a long cycle by the opposition that's when he starts to break down and become a almost echl level player uh and it results in just high levels of goals against if his numbers look so some sometimes look so good because he does a lot of good things well and it's just the one or two bad things he does in a game that results in an actual one or two goals against one of the funny things that i noticed when people were tweeting out stats about him he's like oh he doesn't take that many penalties and then i went thinking to myself well he makes the bad play that leads to his defense partner taking a penalty or a forward taking a penalty he might not make you know the ultimate mistake that leads to something bad happening but he makes the mistake that leads to the mistake you know it's the inverse hockey assist and that's the that and, and that's the huge problem, and that leads to somebody else having to cover. How many times did you see Matheson make a mistake when he was playing with Ekblad? Ekblad's got to do Herculean work to clean up the mistake, and he can't do it. You know what I mean? Or Matheson makes a bad chip in the neutral zone, then a forward's got to take a penalty to prevent a breakaway or something like that, right? That's why Matheson and Pissick were so bad, because Pissick is terrible at supporting his partner as well, and is also not a very good defenseman, as we've learned. So, you know, it it just compounded it. And, you know, it's not, I don't want to get too down on them. I mean, I think it's only proper to kind of go over all the different reasons why Matheson didn't work out. Yes. It's part of Matheson and we've ad nauseum discuss why, what Matheson has failed to do as a player himself. But let's remember he was doing well until, not Talon, traded for Yandel and gave Yandel all of his minutes he was supposed to be stepping into, giving him his role. Since Yandel was signed long-term and was expected to take all those minutes in that role, they had to change the way he played. In the When he was supposed to be stepping in and getting comfortable in the NHL and finding himself, they, they made him change the way he played hockey and change his role. It didn't work out. They stuck him with a bad partner. Again, who Talon did not bring in. And, I mean, Talon was a shitty GM. There's no way around it. But that wasn't on Talon. Uh, Pisk was not Talon's fault. Uh, and Talon and, and Pisk and Matheson had two terrible years that sank Matheson's confidence, ruined any of his ability to recover, and shown his fatal flaw, which is his mental strength. 
and he may be able to regain it in a new scenery. And Pittsburgh is probably the one of the better landing spots he could be he could go to, because they seem to at least bring, you know, people who are over the edge back on to you know NHL everyday NHL level. Except Jack Johnson. Except well, Jack Johnson. I mean, yeah, but they've probably done better with Jack Johnson than most any. NHL team could. He's going to be coached by Todd Reardon. So. Who, he, he was not a good head coach, but we know he could coach defense. And I think Matheson's going to thrive in a role that's much more defined for him. You know, he's going to be asked to do a whole lot less than he was in Florida. I mean, you know, he'll I, just be Justin Schultz. That's the way that's he's going to be. I was about to say, like, he's getting, he's essentially their Justin Schultz replacement. Now, I don't know whether that means he plays second pair. Who knows? Because they've got John Marino, they've got Pedersen, they've got some defensemen that are decent. Um, I hope he succeeds. I'm rooting for him. You know, I rooted for Nick Bugstad and Jared McCann and all these other players when they leave Florida. I want them to do well because I think in many ways a lot of the reason why they're not doing well is because they're in Florida. But, you know, his flaws were magnified in the case of the Panthers. And I hope in the case of Pittsburgh they find a way to mute those flaws just enough so he can get the career he deserves. Because he was a first-round pick for a reason. You know, in that 2012 entry draft, you know, for for his skating. Oh, he was a first-round pick for his skating. And listen, you can't teach that, you know, in many ways. Like, you can make your skating better, but if you have but that he raw doesn't, natural ability... But he's, can, he's 26, 27, and he... Yeah. Or, you know, 25, 26. I don't want to outdate him, but... Uh, and he doesn't know how to... He hasn't figured out, after 300 games, how to use that skating in the NHL to his benefit. And I'd, it's it's hard for me to see that just suddenly clicking. Again, with Pittsburgh, it's the one team I can see that happening. So I hope he does. He, um, he, is, he is 26. But I, I, I said Matheson was 100% tradable. It wasn't going to be – it shouldn't be a horrible return. Like, I didn't think it was going to be, you know, Dubinsky – you know, like taking a guy like Dubinsky or, or something. Or a cap dump, basically. You yeah. Know, like what, what happened with Mark Stahl. Um, and I think that, you know, again, to get Hornquist a very usable player for, for Matheson and Sevier, and we should mention Colton Sevier, um, completely expendable bottom six forward, and that's good because it means you could play Sarla or other guys in the bottom six next year who can do more, and that's a good sign for Just for anyone now. Just anyone. Yeah, and, and, and it means that, and again, they created cap space by making this move, and, like, where is those $775,000 going to go? It could it could it go to resigning well, of getting it's going to be a, it's going to be somebody it's going to be somebody who has to fill a roster spot. Yeah, you I know mean, that's going to be a, literally a rookie player. And and listen, I don't think and, and hey, your we'll backup talk, goalie. Uh, well, Trigger might be fine in that role, but I mean, like it gives the Panthers. Makes, I know, but it gives the Panthers some flexibility. It's a it's a creative move from Bill Zito to get a player that he wanted to who brings you something useful. And also getting rid of a problem that I didn't think they were going to be able to get rid of as easily as they did or as now, cleanly as they did. Now you have to look at getting getting Yandel or Strawman to waive their no trade clause and leave uh, and free up some more money. You have to look. You have to resign Uyghur at least to two years. 
Um, I'd and, be okay with three or four years at like four, four-ish million. I think that that probably yeah, but fair. but you got you got to get him locked up for two because I don't want to have to do this song and dance after the next season again. It's a new uh, GM, and I think I think if anybody would appreciate what Uyghur brings to the table, it's probably Bill Zito, considering the defenseman that Columbus had. Um, and obviously, we are huge Mackenzie Uyghur fans on this on this show, as people have as people probably know right now. But and like, then, but after I mean. I think everybody agrees Uyghur is going to be coming back and is going to be coming back. And just how much do they have to give them and how long that contract is, we'll see. But if we're looking at the forwards, you have 12 million, basically 11.8 million between Huberto and Barkov. And then you have 5.3 with Hornquist. And then your next two biggest contracts are Connolly and Petrano. And those are two guys I think also should be on the trade block. Uh, I where they're spotted. I think if Bill Zito can move them, he would want to move them. Yeah, I mean, whether he can or not, Vitrano does. You know, he's fine in his role, but he—that's two and a half million for for a bottom six player, and that's two and a half million next season too for a bottom six player, and. There's a lot. There's again some minuses there. The defensive play is not getting better. The penalties seem to not be going away. Um, and between those two things, I can easily see Sorella, Walmark, etc., playing over him. Uh, mm. I mean, would I would I would I trade Vitrano to sign? Eric Halla? No, I think I would probably just let Halla walk and just keep Vitrano, but I would also move Vitrano so I could, you know, play a younger guy or or uh, bring in another new forward. As I said before, it's Evgeny Dadunov being re-signed is the important thing here for the Panthers. That's the only one of these guys that I yeah. think should be re-signed. Uh, and it's a lot easier to do if you can move Connolly or Vitrano's millions. Yes. Because you're not moving Achari, and then that's literally the only other forward you have signed. Yeah, you have six signed forwards at, signed at this moment. At the at the NHL level, six forwards signed. Um, I also want to point out, because we've heard rumors, and perhaps by the time we do our, our post-draft show, something will have happened. Uh, the Panthers have been linked with big fish defensemen. Uh, they were linked with Tory Krug. I think that's questionable. And they're also linked with Alex Petrangelo, oddly enough. Um, there are a couple of things that are interesting with these links that I think we need to talk about. And primarily, I think this is Bill Zito's way of telling the National Hockey League, we don't actually have an internal budget we can spend if we need to. Clearly, they need defensemen, obviously. Um, whether they should be spending all that money on Petrangelo or Krug, I don't think so. I think you can get more bang for your buck. But personally, just the fact that they were linked with multiple defensemen like this, leads me to believe that it's it's one of those Bill Zito, like those inside baseball GM moves saying, we don't actually have an internal budget agents. You know, we can play with the big boys if we have to. As I said, I don't think Krug's going to come to Florida. I don't certainly don't think Petrangelo's coming to Florida. If Petrangelo's going anywhere, he's going to Vegas or Colorado, which is where he should go. Or Toronto, I would pick, I would tell him to pick that over Florida. But again, just even being linked is a sign to me that, that Bill Zito's trying to send a message and the message is, uh, we can spend money. All of this talk about an internal budget's a bit of a bupkis. I agree. He's trying to send a message. I don't know if the message is uh, that they're willing to spend that type of money, Petro Angelo money, or Tory Krug money, or you know, sign or trading and then signing Tory Krug. But 
because uh, again, those I don't think those two defensemen help. I mean, Petro Andrew would be great if they could make it work, but Krug doesn't really solve their problem. Um, yeah, he wouldn't play number one power play, so it wouldn't really make much sense. Well, I mean, he would in my opinion, but well, he should. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, in the ideal world, so, we'll keep the handle goes to Boston, but you know, hey, not a bad idea. I, I we would I hope think so, that yeah. that could maybe make that work. Maybe we uh, could send him back to Arizona. Who knows? Um, uh, well, they're trying to. Well, they might actually be legitimately cutting money, but you know, the Panthers. Are, I I just think that you know, it, it, Bill Zito in his interview says, "I'm going to try a lot of stuff." Like, that he has said that. I don't know how much of it's going to come that's, off. That's what I think the message is, that he's open for business and he's willing to try a lot of stuff. Is I think that's the message more than he's willing to spend, try, a lot, try spending a lot of money. He's willing to try a lot of stuff, and it all has to fit within a certain puzzle, and the puzzle is the budget. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's, like we said, there's six NHL forwards signed. They have a whole lot of cap space right now. They have 21, almost 22 million projected and 12 people on their roster out of 21. So they have a lot of decisions to make. They're very fluid and flexible. And I think this is him getting out ahead of it and saying, you know, we're, we're ready to do a lot of things. We can go a lot of different ways. Uh, and, to me, that's a good message to hear as a fan because I don't want to see the same old crap. I mean, there's a few players that I don't want to move. Uh, most of them aren't on the NHL roster. Uh, and I'm interested to see who they can pry loose. And I think the GMs and the people on TSN and on you know on podcasts or blogs and stuff or Twitter saying that uh, – there could be a lot of movement. There could you don't really know who's all going to be available because spending somebody, and budgets are crazy in coronavirus. Really, really, yeah, somebody pointed out something really important though that I think is worth mentioning. Like there could be more traditional RFA's that are available than usual because some of these players might not be qualified because of the cap situation. Exactly, so, and that something like that is something that you don't seek, and then you know. So, so how does that benefit Zito? <laughs> Zito needs to fill the two C spot and needs to fill a top four left hand spot at least, uh, if not two top four D spots, to make this team a real competitive beast, you know, competitive contender, somebody that's not just going to lose to the Islanders. Com- back-to-back, like competitively lose to the Islanders. It's like the only thing Florida's good at. Uh, so if they're going to do that, they really need to to add, you know, a, a, a good, if not better than good, second center who, who's going to be able to drive, play, and hold up some younger or some older and underachieving second-line players, whether it's Hornquist or Connolly or somebody like Tippett or Denisenko on the second line, or, or maybe Dadunov comes back, or, or maybe it's Hoffman that comes back, or, God forbid, Achari's still playing second line wing next year. Um, you know, they're going to need a center, a, a second line center that can do what Barkov does. Maybe not, you know, as many, score as many points, but for the most part, do what he does. You know, uh, I think and, a decent little ad, and I know he can't get brought back by uh, the team he was uh, previously on. You know, there's a player I think could be decent in that, not not as a second line center, but as a decent depth forward that I think Florida adding would be would be fine. You know what I'm thinking of? Who? 
Tomas Nosek. Yeah, that would that'd be fine. And, you know, like a center like Roderick Fosco would be fine. I mean, we don't really know who's going to be the three seat either. Is it going to be Walmart? Is it going to be Sorella? Is it going to be Borgstrom? Like, who's going to be that three seat? Uh, all those guys, I, I would hope, is are wingers or, or four seats. I also didn't realize is a UFA, too. Yeah, I mean, he's like if Malgin would, like was on steroids, you know, for the last that's couple a good, of years. That's a good analogy. Very good point, that. But I think, uh-huh. like, you know, like, it give, there's a lot of things that he could do. And, and the fact that he has no track record as a general manager, it's not like watching what Dale Talon's going to do and be like, okay, I can see what he's going to do here. We don't know what he's going to do because he's never been in this position before. And I and there is a lot of flexibility. I'm very curious to see what this offseason season. Will, will bring and I think there's a lot of reasons you can say like if that's the if the first trade is is anything to go by then that, that there's a lot of reason to think that there, there could be some interesting things that the Panthers are about to do and yeah I, I think they're a fascinating team not because they might not spend money but because again they got a new GM and we and, and we don't know what Bill Zito is we have an idea and I don't think other teams know yet what he is and what he's thinking and that, I, and that makes him much, and, and the unpredictability, I think, gives the Panthers some, some options to do some things they wouldn't otherwise, you know, be able to do. What I think Zito is most likely going to end up doing is putting the majority of his money in that 2C spot and his resources in that 2C spot. I think it's going to be harder and the price is going to be higher to do that. And then I think he's going to probably look to flip a guy like Borgstrom uh, for for a defensive prospect who's in a similar spot, who has a lot of skill, a lot of talent, has a good drafted draft slot and a good pedigree, and just really needs a new change of scenery and just you know maybe the relationship has soured, maybe like it has with Borgstrom in Florida, uh, and and somebody who is going to come in as be a cheap uh, cap hit for this year and next year, but it has that possibility of becoming a, a pretty valuable second line, you know, second pair defenseman, uh, just like Borgstrom has that ability of becoming, you know, a second line winger or third line center. And it's also because we don't know who's going to be available. It's hard to kind of project in that way. You know, like who could be, who could you be thinking of? I really don't know, but like, they're not, they're not like nothing that they, you know, they could be linked with a lot of stuff. And I, I mean, think- like a, a could do you think you you could possibly get like Jake Bean or you know it's it's one, like it's probably one of those like late first early second round defensemen or you know second round defense anywhere in the second round defensemen who are you know solid you know good puck skills good skaters good defensively uh that are you know pretty quiet simple that just are like 23, 24, 25 that just haven't got the opportunities yet. I'm uh, just trying to look and, and see if I find anybody. I, I Like the first name that came into my head was Hayden Flurry, but I actually think yeah. the Hurricanes like him. So I don't know if that's a move that they would make, but like that's the first defenseman I thought of. I mean, you, know? you, you just go to a, I mean, you go to a team like Calgary, you go to a team like Philadelphia, you go to a team yeah, like Nashville, good. and you just say, you know, what are some of the defensemen that are stuck behind other guys that have talent that you think that you, you know, te- you know, a, a team like Philadelphia, a team like Nashville, they're looking for some f- offense, of firepower, some high, some more talent on the wings, and they got the D to move. So I, I think that makes sense. I, I uh, actually, I could, I could, I could. Well, if the Flyers are re-signing Robert Haig, you know. 
Well, I mean, I, I like Hague enough, especially for at that price tag and, you know, sub $2 million and at that role. I think he's good, you know, a guy that can come in and out of the lineup and play a certain way when that team, when Philadelphia needs to play a certain way and against certain opponents and different times in a series. So I, I don't mind I, that I, signing. You know? I, I think that the point is that we don't really know who's available and it's going to be really interesting to see, like, where this well, goes. Th- and- I think I think the, the lesson is everyone's available and that's how Zito has to approach it. And Zito has to shake loose a, a defenseman. Zito has to shake loose a two C because otherwise Florida is going to be at a world of hurt. You're looking at, he needs to fill out this roster. And if it's a lot of re-signing, uh, you know, Florida could be in some trouble. Uh, I, they need some new blood. That, that, they need that, some that, new skill. Who infused. is that center? Who is that center? Like that's to me the, the, the biggest. I mean, they, because... what they, what they really missed out at the trade they should have made was was Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm, a trade that Calgary stepped up and made. I mean, obviously, they had a Dougie Hamilton to make that trade. So I guess you're moving Ekblad. But, um, you know, that's what they – those are the types of players they need to go out and get. Uh, guys like that who have a lot of skill that are underappreciated and not in the right spot. Um, but are very headsy, have high IQ, play really well with the, within a team, make their line mates better, um, and help push this team forward and, and can handle playoff you know series. I wonder if the Panthers – you know what I wonder the Panthers might do? And maybe – I don't know. I'm thinking about guys in Columbus that maybe Bill Zito would want to, you know, pry away. There aren't a ton. But I wonder if – because they're going to have issues at the cap too. Like – I wonder, you know, Alex Wenberg is overpaid also. Like, he's, he's clearly paid too much. But I wonder if that's somebody the Panthers maybe look at. Because he started playing better towards the end. He's not a great player. But I wonder if, like, if you, you know, you make some money move around. Like, Wenberg for Vitrano in a pick or something like that. Maybe something like that works. I don't know. It's just spitballing. But I'm, you're just trying to figure out, like, who's going to do what now. You know what I mean? Like, cause I think that's something that could, cause they're going to have to sign Pierre-Luc Dubois Columbus and they're going to need the money. So yeah. I like, like what, what would you think if they Panthers traded for Wenberg and they got rid of some, I money? think, I think they have to, I, that would be a good, I don't know if he's a two C though. That, that's the thing. And I think they need to aim a little higher. I think they need to t- call Edmonton about Nugent Hopkins. I think they need to call Vegas about Stastny. I think they need to uh, go. Not Stastny. Not, not Stas- Why? Stas- I mean, it's, it's a one year getting... investment. And he was rocked. good. He was he was good this year. I would Nugent Hopkins would be fascinating if the Panthers. But I mean, the, off with him. you need to get some. You need to get somebody at that level. What about training for Alexander Barkov's best gaming friend, Patrick Line? Who's playing? Who, then you can't. Then you can't get anything. I no, mean, that, that's true. I, I'm just. I'm just you, that would, that'd be great and everything. But again, who's playing two C? Are you turning Huberto into two C? Like no. again, who's who's going to be the center in that in that issue? So yeah, I, um, I, I, I agree with you there. I'm just thinking, I, like, but well, they what? they can. It's Zito. I think Zito showing that is sending the message that he's aiming to shake loose some some players, aiming to to go out and uh, find himself the guys he needs, and that's what he should have done, and that's what he should be doing, and that's what Talon should have done, and that's why Talon should have been fired a while ago, and that's why he eventually got fired is because he didn't have the foresight. He didn't have the gumption to go out and do it himself. He waited for these deals to present themselves, and the ones that were no-brainer and had no such risk that he felt comfortable doing it, 
well, uh, and bringing it to ownership. Apparently is available for trade or might be available for trade we didn't talk about. Jack Eichel. Yeah. And if that's true, Florida should be in on it uh, because I think that they could probably get it done. I mean, obviously it would, it would mean losing Huberto, but again, is it something that Florida would well, be willing a, to do? a center tandem of Barkoff and Eichel would be kind of insane. Yeah, I mean, I think it would involve Huberto the 12th and next year's first and probably like Cole Chanak or somebody like that or and Montembeau or, you know, some stupid throw-ons or something, Heboniemi or something. Like, it would be an expensive get, but then you would have a one-two punch. You would well, have but here's the thing. one-two also, punch. We also that... consider that Bill Zito is going to probably look into it because that's just, I think, the kind of GM Bill Zito is. He, right. he he considers absolutely pretty much everything. Yeah. Again, if you get Eichel, though, it blows up your cap structure because then you're basically saying— oh, I don't think saying, it's realistic, and I don't think yeah. he's going to be traded, but I'm just saying— Because like, tra- trading for Eichel means you're giving up on re-signing Barkov for the most part, or you're at least saying Barkov's never going to make real money as an NHL player, which is sad, uh, and so I don't see it happening. I mean, I could see— they're going to have to do something, and and I think they will. But it, as far as the crew rumors, it, they're better off pursuing Matt Greslick. As far as the line A rumors, they're better off pursu- pursuing Ryan Nugent Hopkins. As far as you know, the Petrangelo rumors, they're probably better off uh, pursuing somebody's uh, defensive prospect. Uh, they're not using somebody's next Shea Theodore that they're willing to get rid of, like San Jose. San Jose was trying to get rid of San, uh, Shea Theodore for a while, never really could get a decent trade. And I bet you a lot of teams are going back there and thinking, oh, man, Shea Theodore was offered for this prospect in a second. This prospect's still on our AHL team, uh, and we could have made this trade easily. We're idiots. Um, and I think that's what Zito has to go find himself doing. So I want to do... One more thing uh, before we head uh, off, uh, and I encourage you all to listen to Tommy's draft preview, put up a PDF, uh, put up a podcast to talk about this, and I'm going to let him have the floor now that we are a week out from the draft and it is the next big thing in the league. We talked about it more from a Panthers perspective, and I'm not going to let him talk about it just in general now. So you have the floor to say whatever you want to say on the draft, and this will be the last time before it uh, that you get to do this, and then trust me, we will have something after it but I will let you have the floor to talk a little bit more about like the highlights, the things you have now that that's all out. And again, please listen to that other show. Uh, it's a good listen. I, I, I encourage you to sit down and read it. There's a lot of hard works put into it. So uh, your floor is yours, sir. Sure. Well, uh, I mean, I've rambled on a lot. Uh, I, actually, I don't want to say rambled. That doesn't sound appealing. But the ramble on's a good song, though. I should it's say it's a it's a 90-minute you know draft guide podcast of you know that kind of goes over and goes through the draft guide and my thoughts on it. Uh, so you can do one and not the other or both. I, I recommend both, uh, obviously, because I put the time into it. Um, there's a mock draft there's how i would draft uh if i was the gm in every team which are two separate things obviously uh one what you think will happen one what you wish or what you would would happen if if it was up to you um i had a uh some of the the hits we've had over the years some of the misses uh which was kind of fun to look back on uh 
for sure. I'm including Sasha Barkov as a hit, of course, because uh, we were the, one of the only people who kind of saw that coming and, and was positive about it uh, going into the draft um, at number two. Um, yeah, it, this year has been an absolute crazy uh, scouting year. There are games going on right now. We've kind of talked about it. Uh, and those games are of the Swedish and the Russian prospects, the Finnish prospects, and, uh, of course, the German prospects and stuff. And, of course, that uh, is where our bias and our preference is. In, in the ranking guides, obviously, it, that kind of is shown. Um, and we don't really shy away from it, of course. Uh, we embrace the bias. So it, that, we that's embrace, definitely... We embrace, the, we embrace our, our angle here, I'll say. I don't want to say bias. How about angle? We'll use a wrestling term. Sure. So I, I think that kind of will help some of the guys that I've ranked higher maybe go closer to where I've ranked them than in most years, uh, where, you know, there's the Memorial Cup, there's all, you know, all of that. It's been almost... It's going to be almost a full year be, from when the CHL stops playing and when the CHL really starts up again, it's going to be a, a long time. So that obviously might hurt, hurt them. Uh, I, I really like the Swedish defenseman, but I, I don't know how strong this defensive class is. So I'm really gung ho about forwards in the first round and getting your centers in the first round while you can, I wouldn't really wait for, a uh, Connor Zari or Seth Jarvis or Brendan Brisson or Ronnie Hervinen or uh, even a Vasily Ponomarov who didn't, you know, was under a point per game in the in the queue. But uh, guys who project or might even possibly project to be top six centers and guys who can score 65, 75 points in the NHL and be a center. Uh, that's pretty rare in this draft. So anywhere in the first round that's what you should think your team's going to most likely draft and should draft because you'll probably be better off for it um and you again the lesson with we were just talking about with zito was to to know what you want be confident step up and take it and that's what you should do in this draft really um whether it's trading back uh or just stepping up and taking a guy that everyone will say is a reach uh, even if you don't think it is, uh, it's really open anywhere back from eight, nine overall to, to probably 40, 45. I think it's completely wide open, uh, more years than most. So it'll be very fun, very exciting. Again, we talked about how it's a shame that it's in the middle of the week, but DVR it, set your, set your tubes to it. Um, you know, It'll be fun. Is there anybody who ended up uh, in your rankings or in your eyes that ended up being you know, higher in uh, the finals than you expected them to be? Players that ended up climbing up your rankings more than you suspected? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the French, my one of my my favorite French Canadian of the draft, Maverick Bork. Uh, I. It probably wasn't until. March, you know, that February, March that I really started, you know, putting him in the first round even. Uh, and I have him 12th overall in the, in the final rankings. Um, 
I, I also think I've liked Jake Sanderson more and more in the in the teens than than I did originally. Uh, as much as I like that type of defense and prefer those types of defensemen, uh, it still makes sense to use those early first round picks on the offensive type defensemen. Uh, those really rare but high end offensive thoroughbreds really um it seems to be that's the only place that you really get your hands on them so it makes sense to spend a a pick there um but i i was surprised that i ended up ranking him 18th overall in the end uh i know that's low for most people but for me that was pretty high uh jacob perot uh center for sarnia I have him in just inside the first round and have him over a guy like Seth Jarvis, who seems to be uh, a consensus or a heavy favorite for Florida at 12 because I think it's Pronman, ESPN, and uh, like the draft writers have all, you know, put, put, or the last word on sports or whatever, have all put Seth Jarvis for Panthers at 12 uh, in mock drafts. Uh, but I, I think Perot is a, is a more deadlier scoring threat uh is a better skater uh is going to do more uh in his own end even though he's not a defensive center by any means i I think he just gets back more and and things like that i I just think he has a higher ceiling uh, and more likely to be a center i think Jarvis is more of a wing so that that is over the course of the year that kind of surprised me that I ended up with with that uh sinking mm-hmm. and so when you yeah you said mock draft with, with Seth Jarvis and I, I I think mock drafts even this year are more completely useless <laughs> because we don't know Absolutely what like, crazy yeah because also not only is the draft board you know wild like there's not a lot of consensus like in in just as specifically for Florida we don't know whatever. We don't know what Bill Zito's going to do. We have no, no idea I, what Bill Zito's going to do. I know the fans. I mean, Jameson Alv Cooper uh, put out a poll asking, you know, for, uh, forward defenseman, best player available, who do you want the Panthers? And it was overwhelming defenseman. And I think that's because that's what the team needs right now. Uh, but whoever you're picking at 12 isn't going to be ready for two years, three years anyway. Um I think if it's a center, it's more likely they jump in and play earlier. Any So if you really want somebody to be there earlier, you better hope Anton Lindell falls back or uh, you step up and you pick a center who's going to really kind of take a, have a huge breakout draft plus one season this year, uh, which is the, some of the guys I'm – some of the centers I'm uh, talking about and some of those other CHL centers that I don't talk about all have the potential to do that um as well but you know that i just don't get the the talk of a defenseman at 12 i i I feel like it's always just go against popular opinion with when it comes to the panthers uh and you'll probably do what's right uh i i think that there's as i said like there's a lot of draft yeah, it's, it, it is, it, I don't want to call this a cursed draft, but it just feels like this is going to be kind of ridiculous in many ways. Like, it could go in a thousand different directions, and you're probably going to see some of the folks on draft Twitter lose their mind over a couple of picks, as it tends to happen. You know, like, with we're going to see a lot more Moritz Cedar kind of picks, I would imagine. That makes sense? Yeah, I hope so. And I hope Zito's 
fine making those picks or trading back, knowing that that's how I, I think a lot of teams are going to go. Like you said, there's like we said, there's no Memorial Cup data. There's no playoffs or end of a regular season in a draft year. There's there was less international tournaments at the end of last year and camps over the summer. There's a a lot less we know that about prospects than we usually know at this point. Um, and I think that will play into that chaos as well, uh, for sure. So if you have one guy that if the Panthers drafted him, you would be the happiest person on the earth. If there's one guy, I know we shouldn't talk about this only from a Florida perspective, but if there's one guy you're like, I, I can't front, I'm going to lose it if the Panthers draft him in a good way. Anton Lindell. Cause it, it, you, you, it's, Part of that excitement is he would have to fall. Uh, I think he's probably going to go ninth or 10th. So it's realistic that he falls to 12. Um, and there's a lot of people who have him ranked 16 to 20 that it's, it's real. It's actually realistic. Um, and he's somebody that only probably needs one more year and maybe shows up and makes the team out of training camp. I hope he doesn't. Uh, but I think by next, like next season, which is 21, 22, right. I hope yes. possibly a normal season. I think he could possibly step in and play as a three C and he projects as an elite defensive two C, which would allow Barkov to focus on offense. Uh, and he still, I think projects as somebody who can get 65, 70 points in a season, uh, which is more than enough. Uh, and, there's no one else that I think can in that range that I think is as realistic, as quick to the NHL, um, and as has a high floor too, right? So there's less risk, there's uh, less worry about development being a huge factor in whether they make it or not to the NHL, which obviously is a huge concern for Florida fans. Um, and then obviously the two centers that I really like are Merit Hushnadinov and Maverick Bork. Uh, I'd be excited if they got them or any of the three Swedish defensemen, I like Helga Granz, William Allinder, Emil Andre, I'd be excited about. Mm-hmm. Lucas Reichel, Brendan Brisson, I mean, Ozzy Weisblatt. I, I can get excited about a lot of guys. I mean, it's prospects. I get excited about all of them well, if, there I, are times if I must. You do, there are times when you are not the happiest when they draft. Uh, that was recent years. Uh, yes, although... but let's just say I've been forced to learn how to acquire certain tastes be- as a Panthers fan that I can probably manage with anything. I just want to see that the the Panthers, and I just want to see every NHL team really just have some fun drafts, draft a lot of Europeans, and draft Europeans in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds, and just keep going. Because uh, and just and just, and just fun. So uh, also, I got to ask now that you. Uh... Your mock draft, like not how Y Hockey would do it, but your mock draft had uh, Askarov going to the, the Wild, interestingly enough. Um, I think that's going to be the biggest question of the, uh, the first round. I think it's going to be the most interesting because you don't get goalies that go, like, not just Spencer Knight high, but higher. Right. Uh, and right. a lot of people are wondering, like, who's going to take him. So you had it going to Minnesota. I could see that. There's a lot of teams that could take him. I think the consensus is he's not going to fall any lower than the Hurricanes, who are 13th. Um, so Correct. 
Although I could see him following the 15 in Toronto, which would be a whole nother bag of mess. Oh, that would I would love to see the Leafs draft the goalie. If the the Twitter would go bananas. Yeah. Just bananas. But I I boy, I don't I re, again, I, I really don't know. There's a lot of stuff that could happen in this If draft. I if I was the Panthers and Askrov's on the board at 12 and Carolina's at 13, it's definitely the time to trade back. Because you yeah. could probably, you know, if there's a team, if there's a team back there that's like, like, or the devil. Think about like, it, like you could just be like Pittsburgh. You know, what could you get from Pittsburgh? If the Penguins, I'm thinking, you know, the or Devils, like, yeah. goalie, you know, somebody like that. Like if Calgary, there's somebody who I mean, really, I think yeah, Calgary some, probably. But that's a good. That's a good. If there's somebody who really likes him, like, do you trade down if if Askarov's still on the board? Because as you said, you could probably get whatever guy you want lower down the. Uh, out of all the prospects, that would be the one prospect that'd be left on the board at twelve that would command that would have the most teams calling to trade up. Even Other though it's than a maybe Lindell who you would draft. So Right, yeah. Exactly. So I, right. it's it's going to be fascinating. Read the guide. We have it on Y Hockey. Uh, it's a it's a good it's a good read. Uh, the companion podcast is there as well. Don't want to take too much time away from that, which you should listen to. I could promise you that next week when the draft is over. Uh, we will have a recap podcast, perhaps with another guest. I think that's something we'll try. Just talk about all the things that happened and, and the Panthers draft as well, as well as Philly, Colorado, other teams. So uh, it's, it's, this is a – I know that the hockey is now – the playing of hockey is now over in North America, and we don't know when it's going to return. But the draft and free agency is always a fun time because wild crap happens. And this year it's going to be more wild than usual. So I, I'm just sitting back and enjoying it, and I'm not going in dreading it at this point because it's a new GM that we have somewhat amount of confidence in. At least something's new. It is a little bit new, but there's a lot of, again, we really don't know how this ends up. Like, nobody, I think, knows how this ends up. You, you, you heard from a bunch of GMs, a bunch of people around the league. They really don't know where this is heading, and that, that kind of makes it fun. And... It makes it fun not just from one team perspective, but it makes it fun from a lot of teams' perspectives because we'll have a lot of moves to talk about at some point. So I, I look forward to it. I look forward to uh, a happy draft podcast, Lord willing, crossing your fingers, because if I, I, we've done draft podcasts post-draft where Tommy's happy, but I, haven't, I don't ever remember doing a show where Tommy's like, I, I've, I'm in love. You know what I mean? Like that kind of shit. I hope that this is the draft. And maybe Bill Zito is the guy that will get us the, the I'm in love draft podcast. So if Bill Zito, like, what is the ideal, like, Bill Zito draft for you that would make you, like, all in? Like, I'm all in now on this guy. Uh, tra- trading back from 12 and getting, you know, it's possible you could probably get a couple of the centers and a couple of the defensemen I like uh, with their picks you know, that you trade back and get, you know, probably something in the late teens or 20s and then something in the 50s or late 40s. And then you'd have that pick plus 43 and 74 and 86. You can probably get a a lot of Europeans off my list uh, that I would rank in, you know, the first or second round. Um, and, And that would probably do it. It's more so the accumulation 
uh, and I, and if it's not that one player, Lundell, it's more so that accumulation of uh, European players I like. And I I think maybe Bill Zita's the guy to bring it. So or or French Canadians. I mean, let's. I'll, they're 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 kind of like Europeans, you know. Fr- kind of like well, to 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 Don they Cherry, smoke like them. They smoke the Don like Don Cherry. Them. They're Europeans. Uh, anyway, we will see you next week for the post-draft extravaganza. There's going to be a lot of wild stuff happening. Uh, stay tuned to Why Hockey End. Read the draft guide, listen to the podcast. You're going to have a lot of fun. And uh, again, congrats to Vinny Viola's favorite team of winning the Stanley Cup. 